We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, John Griselli says Gearby is the biggest must get on the remaining 2024 board. I've seen Gearby play multiple times live. Absolute freak. Reminds me of a more advanced Ronnie Stanley at the same age. Agree or disagree? I actually like that comparison a lot. Very I, similar I think that body they type are, to Ronnie. Similar. Yeah. yeah, because last year, and we'll see obviously what Gearby plays in as a senior, but I mean, he was about 6'6, six, 6'7, six, six, and 285 pounds, 280 pounds. So he's a long limbed spelt if I could use that word type of offensive lineman he obviously is going to be continuing to grow into his body but he's a guy I remember I mean because Ronnie was like the same right Brian like he was like 285 pounds coming out of yeah. Nevada right he, like he was part of this because he's playing guy. basketball played basketball yeah. for Bishop Gorman yeah I'll say yeah. the one I, I think the I think the athleticism is very similar the body type is similar the uh the length is very similar there's a ton of similarities one big difference and this is why Gearby was ahead of, and he talks about more advanced Ronnie Stanley. Gearby's a little bit more fundamentally sound, a little bit, not a ton, but Gearby's a much more powerful player than Ronnie. Ronnie really didn't become a good run blocker until he got to the NFL. Yeah, and he was a, he was a, he was an okay run blocker at Notre Dame. I mean, he he would do his job and and he would kind of throw his way around a little bit, but he wasn't a, he wasn't going to just drive you off the line. He yeah. became a much better run blocker in the NFL than he than he, which is it's a different run game, you know, but. Um, Gearby's going to show up, and that's a strength of his game already. I mean, so that's – in part, that's the system you come from. I mean, Ronnie showed up in their name a pretty good pass blocker. I mean, that's just something he was he was good at. But mm-hmm. I, I like that comparison quite a bit, Ryan. I think that one fits very well. Like body type, Gear- all of it. Gearby is one of the few offensive linemen in this class, John, that I watched, and I was like, yep, I get that, man. I completely understand yep. that. There's some kids that are – Super hyped that I wa- I've watched, and I'm just like, man, I don't really get that one. <laughs> like, I don't really yeah. get that one. Gerby, it makes sense, though. He makes sense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's one from W.O. Lewis. It says, Brian, you talking about needing to close. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm oh, sorry. It was, it was towards you. So I didn't know if you wanted me to ask and then you answer. How about this? We'll just come if if it's yes. that way, we'll, I'll just let you, yes. I'll let you read it that way. Okay. So that way we, we, my apologies. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. No, Ryan. <laughs> Brian, you were talking about needing to close on recruits. Can you give an example of how you personally closed on a 50 recruit that was decided between your school and another? I mean, really what you have to find is you have to determine because I've you win some, you lose some, right? And and you have to determine what's the most important thing to this kid. And do we do we win in that area? And if you don't, then you have to say, okay, what are the two or three things that we do win on and sell those? If you have it, then you get it. So for example, one of the recruits that I lost, and I probably had as good a relationship with this kid as anybody I've ever recruited. He was a running back from uh, St. Ann Bellsfield in Virginia. And, and so actually was he, yes, he was a St. Anne's and, and it was one of those things where he wanted, it was us and Johns Hopkins and the, the field he wanted to go into was, you know, I mean, you're talking about Johns Hopkins. Muhlenberg was a very good school, but it's Johns Hopkins. And so I had to take the next three or four things and just sell the heck out of that. And then still kind of convince him that, hey, this is still a great degree as well. But at the end of the day, that one thing was going to win the day. I couldn't do enough to convince those other things. So sometimes there's going to be something like that, Ryan, where you're just the, the thing that's most important is just so much better at that school. And we've seen Notre Dame win a lot of those battles where academics is the most important thing to a kid or being a first round draft pick for an offensive lineman is the most important thing. And Notre Dame just blows everybody out of the water and they get that kid, even though Maybe reasons two, three, four, and five aren't the same. So really it just comes down to if you have the the thing that he cares about the best, you you sell the heck out of that and then make sure that those other things are also part of your pitch. If you're not, then you have to somehow try to convince him that these other factors are even are just as important and they're you're way better there. And that kind of helps negate that one thing that is ultimate decision making mode. And then the last thing that comes down to it is honestly. You can't close if you hadn't already built up that relationship. That's the other thing too, Ryan. Yeah. It's like you can't be trailing on a kid and you didn't put in the work and you didn't build up the relationship 
and now it's closing time and I got to step it up. You're not going to get that kid. You're just not. That has to already be there. But there just comes to that point where you've just got to try to find to hit those last things. And then there's always like little things you can do that we couldn't do at the Division three level because if we brought our greatest player in to meet a kid, he'd be like, who the freaking heck is that guy? You know what I mean? But, you know, there's some of that. If you're trailing, it's some of that stuff. It's try to find something to wow him, some kind of new data intel to kind of wow him. Some teams will do that, and it works for some kids, and it doesn't work for others. But it's really just about the consistency of the messaging knowing what's important to a kid and know whether or not you need to sell what's important to him even more because you ha- you win there or you've got to maybe try to convince him that, uh, that that while that's important, these other things that you do win at are also just as important. To me, that's really what closing comes down to, Ryan. You have some thoughts on that? I think it's a relationship, and I think it always is, right? Like it's because they're – I mean, you, you talk about it, Brian. There's a uniqueness to everybody's pitch that makes their school their school at the end of the day. But I think relationships are the most important because there's some there's some kids that just kind of tune you out when maybe the pitch is missing something, right? But those relationships I think can really they can they, I think they can fill gaps, and I think that that's the biggest thing because as much as we always say, and I know people say this all the time, go to go to a school for the school, not for the. We know that that's not true. Like it's not. It's like go, kids go to co- to schools for coaches all the time. Those relationships matter very much. And I think that that's like the biggest thing is why are we harping on maybe some coaches not being as consistent as they should be in the relationship building process? Because it matters in the end, right? Like that matters at the, at the, because you're not just selling it to a kid. You're also selling it to parents and what better to sell to a parent than like, Hey, we're going to be consistently here for this kid. How can we show you that? Because we're consistently here to answer all of your questions and to build a relationship with you as well. Like we are, practicing what we preach and i really think that matters a lot to kids and to parents absolutely and to sports absolutely system, and to coaches and everyone absolutely and everyone. tyler evans with a super chat uh tyler asks, thank you for super chat tyler do you think the broncos would have if if the broncos would have played the vikings in super bowl 98 uh, that's the 98 super bowl so it have been super bowl 33 do you think they would have beaten the vikings i do i mean obviously i'm I, it's i have no clue how to prove that but i, I do I think for the same reason that they beat the Packers the year before and and beat the Falcons is they could control the clock. I mean, they, they just could. And they had a pretty good blitz system back then that allowed them to go, you know, get after the quarterback and keep their quarterbacks from from getting into it. So that was two of the better – it wasn't an elite defense, but it was a good enough defense with Alfred Williams and Neil Smith and, you know, in a good blitz package with Romanowski and the different guys they had that, you know, they, they could get after it a little bit. But they could just control the clock. Terrell Davis – was the best postseason running back of my life. I mean, and again, I never saw – I saw John Riggins at the tail end of his career. I, can't, I know I know that that Terrell Davis beat John Riggins' consecutive 100-yard rushing postseason rushing games. He had like eight in a row. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal postseason running back. And Denver was just a phenomenal rushing team in the, in the postseason. I think he had like – like I said, eight straight 100-yard games, I believe, something like seven or eight. So it would have been the same story there. I mean, and I don't get into the whole, well, you know, they, 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 the Falcons beat the Vikings, therefore the Broncos would have beat the Vikings. That's not how it works, yeah. and, and that's not my argument for it. I just – I look at that Vikings team, and as, as phenomenal as that Vikings team was, I, you know, I just I – think, I think Denver had the better team. That, that was a tremendous, tremendous Broncos team that year. That, I mean, just was, a tremendous Broncos the, uh... team. 
that that they Vikings started, team was the fifteen and one where Gary Anderson missed yeah. the field goal right against yeah. the Falcons. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, And the problem, I mean, you look at the the, Vi- the Vikings that year; they give up thirty one mm-hmm. points, twenty eight points, twenty four points, twenty seven points, twenty four points, thirty six points, twenty two points, twenty eight points. Gave up thirty in the in the in the um the, the in the overtime game to the Falcons. They weren't a great defensive football team, and they would have had a tough time, in my opinion, stopping that Broncos offense. I mean. Exactly, and, and I think Denver would have. I mean, Denver had some weapons too. Like pe- people forget, you know, they didn't win Super Bowl thirty three because of Terrell Davis. He had a hundred yards, but they won that game because John Elway just ripped up the Falcons. I mean, that's just pretty much what it. It was not a competitive game. It really wasn't. Yeah. So I think they would have, but who knows? I mean, who knows? I I have no idea. That was that was a great Broncos. <laughs> that's the one that started thirteen and zero, lost to the Vikings, and then they. Did you ever have you ever heard, have I ever told the story about the the that Dolphins game that year, Ryan? That was the only time I ever saw John Elway play was that year ninety in ninety eight where they played yeah. the Dolphins on that Monday night, and yeah. come to find out, Shanahan showed the Dolphins nothing because they had already clinched home <laughs> field and they they knew based on how the rankings were they were going to get the Dolphins again. Still pisses me off to this day. It's like very selfish of you, Mike Shanahan, because you didn't realize I was in the stands. I you know I only game I got to see John Elway play they lost so, but that was a phenomenal team. I, like they beat the um they beat the uh dolphins like 38 to 3 in the rematch in the postseason this is nuts and took a knee at like the 5 yard line Brian they were going in and they took a knee at the 5 at the end of the game so it was uh yeah it was a really good team that would have been a heck of a super bowl though they really would have that would have been too yeah. re- it would it would have been a, a little bit more higher scoring i think than that because what was it 34 19 I think it's the final score like of the yeah. Falcons game, and it wasn't really that, that was close. What, I mean, Randall Randall Cunningham was the quarterback that year, right for the Vikings. Of that Vikings team, yeah, had Chris Carter, yeah, Randy Moss. Yeah. It was a very good Vikings team. Robert Their Smith. defense just wasn't yeah. that good. Yeah. Yep, just John Tyro defense. Yep, he was really good. Uh, Tyro Wilson, super chat. Thank you, Tyro. What do you think happens if Jimmy and Golden come back for their senior years in 2010, which, as we know, was Brian Kelly's first season at Notre Dame. What was the record in 2010? Was it they were eight and five? Yep, eight and five. Yeah, they were eight and five. And so, uh, just kind of let's just kind of go through it because I've had this conversation before, Ryan, and I think that team would have been very, very good. So they lost to Michigan by four. And if you remember, mm-hmm. that was a game where Dane Christ got hurt. Michigan took the lead when Dane got hurt. Dane came back in, and they put in Nate Montana and then Tommy Reese into that game. Dane comes back in, Notre Dame retakes the lead, and then Denard has that touchdown run at the end. If Jimmy's playing in that game and they have Golden Tate, they don't lose that game. They okay. lost the next game to Michigan State, 34-31 in overtime. They do not lose to Michigan State in overtime with Jimmy Golden. They lost to Navy that year, do not lose to Navy with Jimmy Golden, and they don't lose to Tulsa. I still think they lose to Stanford. I do. I think Stanford dominated them back then. There's no way – because the defense still wasn't going to be good enough to beat Andrew Luck. Now, I think it would have been a much more competitive game, Ryan, but if you have Jimmy yeah. Golden and Michael Floyd and Tyler uh, Eifert and Kyle Rudolph with the with what Brian Kelly was doing offensively and the, and the backfield they had with, with uh, Theo Riddick in the slot, that team's 11-1 in my view. Because they weren't that far away from being 10-2 as it was. I mean – yeah. You outplayed Michigan when your starters in the game. You lose an overtime to Michigan State, and you lose by a point to Tulsa in a game 
where you throw a freaking interception while you're already in field goal range, right? I mean, can we agree that doesn't happen if Jimmy Clausen's the quarterback? Um, You know what I mean? I I just – so I I think they would have been a pretty pretty darn good team. It would have been a really good team. I I refuse to talk about that Tulsa game. I absolutely refuse to talk about that Tulsa game. I get it. It's gross. I get it. Gross game. Patrick Patrick Tolan with a super chat. Thank you. Coaching D3, I always tried to not negatively recruit other schools. What Would you say that aspect is the same or gotten worse in the last five years? I actually think it's not as bad as it used to be. I really don't. Because I think there's so much for schools to sell now. They have to focus so much on their NIL deals and all this. There's a lot of negative recruiting. But, Ryan, it, it, it used to be really bad. Because the thing is, is like now it's so easy to prove some of the things that you'd say about people false. I mean, there's just so much. I can go down Google and then 30 seconds find out the way you told me it's complete bull crap. I mean, that's part of it too, right? I mean, we're back in the day. It's like you can make up some rumor and no one would know about it until after the fact. Like, wait a minute, they said what about this? It's like, I had no idea. Where now it's like, you know, all the people talking to these kids and social media and and kids feeling like they have more of a voice now and all that. Like, there's yeah. no way some of the stuff that people said in the past would have got by. Like, just just no way from a negative recruiting standpoint. So I actually don't think it's as bad as it used to be. I, yeah. I don't. Now, is there still negative recruiting? Absolutely, there's still negative recruiting. It's just, to me, it's a little different than it used to be. That's that's just kind of my two well, cents. I, I mean, I, I, just, I just think for me, Brian, it's like it, – because I think you made a great point. It's very hard to lie nowadays, right? It's just like um, there's a thing called Google that I could quickly find a lot of this information if you're going to lie to me in that mm-hmm. instance, right? Like I can look mm-hmm. up graduation rates and and you know win loss records and records against team different teams and all like and you know first round picks that you've developed and like it, you you can't lie as much. So I feel like na- natural maturation is it's died down a little bit. I just. Again, man, I always come to the fact that like there's only a couple things that you could really push against Notre Dame for as far as like the negative recruiting stuff. And I, but I hope at some point Notre Dame is able to alleviate that list a little bit, and that list starts to really mm-hmm. shrink. Because again, like if we ever get to a point where it's just like the only ammo someone has in the, in the holster is it's, it's cold up there, guys. You're gonna need a jacket. It's like okay, man, I'll get my jacket. All right, I'll get my jacket. We'll be all right. It's like Corey Corey Miner's mom with the best story ever. Where she said, "I can buy you a jacket, and I can't buy you a Notre Dame degree." <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. very true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Here's an interesting question, Mister Two Point If Jimmy Clausen was the QB for Brady Quinn's Notre Dame teams, how good would they have been? Not as good. Look, Jimmy Clausen yeah. was a better pure passer than Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn was a winner. I mean, he was the look. He had a funky throwing motion. He wasn't the most accurate guy in the world. He was a phenomenal leader, and he was a great winner. And that's just a simple fact of it, right there. So, no, I don't think those teams would have been as good. I think there's other teams that would have been better because – and, look, Brady Quinn was all those things. He was still a tremendous college quarterback those two years. Yeah, I mean, he's tough you're as talking nails, about a guy that's – Right, 16 – he had 69 passing touchdowns and 14 interceptions in a two-year stretch. That's really good. And was over 70 touchdowns total because he had some rushing touchdowns in there in a two-year stretch. He was a tremendous player. So while I think that Jimmy would have made the 2010 team way better, yes, he doesn't make Brady Quinn's teams better. And and that's not a knock on Jimmy. It just, he wasn't anywhere close to the leader that Brady was. And people forget Brady's size helped him avoid a lot of sacks during those two years that Jimmy would not have been able to avoid. 
just, I mean, even I, I, if I believe correctly, remember that throw he made to, to uh, Samarja in 05 against Purdue that Samarja caught one-handed? If I remember correctly, yeah. there's like some guy dragging Brady down. Or like, but, uh, Jimmy doesn't make those plays because Jimmy wasn't as mobile. And this isn't a shot at Jimmy. I'm, you won't find a bigger pro Jimmy Clausen person, I think, than me outside of maybe the Clausen family just because I think he was – a very talented player and played on some crap teams. And and I've said to people, could you imagine how bad Notre Dame would have been if they didn't have Jimmy Clausen? Well, well, they didn't win with Jimmy Clausen. I'm like, yeah, you know how bad they would have been if they didn't have Jimmy Clausen. So, right. but, uh, but looking at it, Ryan, I mean, he wouldn't have made the 05 and 06 teams better. Uh, no way. In my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think for me, it's like Brady Quinn. It was like the intangible stuff, right, Brian? I mean, yeah, you could look at the kid and be like, 6'3", 230, strong, strong arm, good athlete, all that type of stuff. But Brady Quinn was just such a great leader, man. Like, yes. he was just a guy that people follow. And that's why that, to this day, he's such a great representative of Notre Dame. It's just like that kid, that guy is a leader. I mean, what at the end of the mm-hmm. day, at the baseline, Brady Quinn is not just a really – he was just a really talented quarterback at Notre Dame. He was a guy that people wanted to follow, and yeah. I completely get it. I still want to follow him. Yeah. I, he's the, he's the yeah. type of guy that you want in front of you. I, I mm-hmm. So I respect him, man. He was tough as nails. He was a great leader. I loved Brady Quinn as a football player. Loved him. Yep, agree. Got a few more questions here, Ryan. Uh, here, here's an interesting one uh, from Lou Holtz Thunder and Bolts. Uh, two questions. One is, what is your favorite concession stand food while enjoying CFB games in person? And two, what item is Notre Dame concession sorely missing for game day? So, Ryan – I don't know that I could answer the second one. I have no clue. I don't really do concessions mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. You have been to some games. Uh, yeah. So I'll let you answer those two first. I can at least answer the first one. I feel like a hot dog at any sporting event is a pretty solid choice personally. If I'm in Philadelphia, though, a cheesesteak is also very good because they got chicken and pizza, obviously, in the stadium. So if that is on the on the menu, that would be kind of my pick. But I think just generally speaking, like what is a solid choice no matter where you go? It's It's a ballpark hot dog. Like – just a consistent thing. I mean, that, a soft pretzel, some peanuts, like those are kind of the staples for me. Mine is pretzels. I'm a big pretzel. If you can have a good pretzel, you know, at a, at a ball game, I'm, I'm good. I'm not someone who necessarily like, likes to eat at ball games. I mean, that's what tailgates are for, you know, that's what going out after the game is for if it's a noon or a three o'clock game, but I was never a big eat at a ball game, but I, I, I'm, whether it's a baseball game, football game, whatever, if you got a good pretzel and some pop, I'm I'm good to go. I don't okay. know. I, I will say this. I guess I could say this because I ha- I have been to a couple like spring games in their name in the past. Their pretzel game needs some work, from what I uh, remember, Ryan. So that would be. I, I don't even remember if they're any good or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's something that I learned a couple years ago. Like I went to a lot of Notre Dame games in 2021 when they had the vaccine policy. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be in the stand. I couldn't be in the press box, but I could yeah. be in the stands right behind the bench, uh, which makes total sense. Uh, but fortunately not an issue anymore, but I was there working. So I wasn't like doing the concessions thing. I was there basically covering the game from the stands instead of the press box, essentially. So a little, a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different animal in that instance. Here's one from, um, Mm, let's see here. Let's get down to JHT nineteen eighty eight. What role do you see Jaden Osbury playing this year? Does he have a chance to play outside of special teams? I think he has a chance. I mean, it's just it's one of those situations where what are you going to do though with Jack Cox? 
Like, are you going to be more willing to play Jack Kaiser sometimes on the inside? Because that will obviously unease some reps at the rover position. Because, I, I mean, ideally, it would be great if Jack Kaiser is able to play a lot inside and you can kind of rotate a little bit with Jalen Sneed to get Jay Dawsbury some reps at rover. So I think it's possible. He's a really good football player. If nothing else, though, I think that he's going to play a lot of special teams. I know you're saying besides special teams, but, like, Jaden needs to play some sort of football, in my opinion, in 2023. Yeah. Agree. He has, definitely has a chance to play. He's that good of a player. It's not going to be easy. I have a very interesting article up today, Ryan, uh, on the front page at IrishBreakdown.com. And it's about how the Notre Dame linebackers are getting a lot of love outside the program. Athlon and, and Phil Steele both rank Notre Dame's linebackers as among the 10 best in college football next year. You yeah. tell a Notre Dame fan that they're going to lose their minds. You know, it's funny it, it is. Ryan. It, it is it, funny. It, how, it is ironic how the percept. Usually, it's like the fans overhype the team, and in the case of the linebackers, it's like outsiders are like, "We don't know why you guys hate this group so much." I still feel like Maris' play has poisoned everyone on the entire linebacking core last year. But uh, it's it's kind of interesting if if JD Bertram played as many snaps as in twenty twenty two as he did in twenty twenty one but had the production numbers at the same level he did in 2022, right? So the same production rate he had in 22, but had the same number of snaps as 2021 because he didn't get ejected twice. He has over 106 tackles and 11 tackles for loss. If he played the same number of snaps he did the year before, but apparently he sucked, right? So it is kind of, it's, it is kind of interesting. So it's not going to be as easy as people think for a young, a freshman linebacker to play, but Jay Nosbury is good enough to, to force his way on the field. So Nolan Ziegler is good enough to force his way on the field. Jalen Sneed is, and so is Drake Bowen. Will they, will they, will they do it? Will they be given the opportunity? I think that's the bigger unknown at this point in time, Ryan, but I hope Jaden Osbury and Drake Bowen and those other young linebackers are playing a ton at the very least, because Notre Dame's blowing a lot of people out and they're getting a lot of playing time and end of games. Give those kids a chance to see what they can do. Ryan, that's something that's interesting about September is if Notre Dame can handle their business against Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan, we should get a chance to see a lot of the younger players, which then says, okay, what does that then do for you later in the year? Do those guys earn those opportunities and maybe play a little bit more? It's going to be very interesting. Very interesting let's, to see how they let's play. Let's hope, man. There, there were some game. There have been some games over the last couple of years where you're like expecting that to be the game where you get some young guys some playing time and then it just does not turn out quite that way. So yeah. I'm hoping we see a lot of that early on in the season. And it is funny though, Brian, I mean, to your point, I, I've seen some spring grades, obviously I know you have as well for like the NFL, as far as some Notre Dame guys and two out of three of those incumbents at linebackers have draftable grades from the NFL right now. So it's, it's yeah. kind of funny how the narrative is a little bit different on that. Side, it is but. one of those guys that has a, I, I, I saw Phil Steele, his preseason magazine. He actually had Maris Lufau ranked higher than JD Bertrand. And I just wanted to scream. So it's like, okay, you, you lost me a little bit with that one. All right, let's get a super chat here from Tyler Evans. Which second-year head coach is under more pressure this year, Brent Venables, Mario Cristobal? This is a good one, or Billy Napier. I like this question. Thank you for the super chat, Tyler. This is a very fair question, right, because I don't think there's a no-brainer answer for, for, for either of those guys. But I would say right now I would rank one to three. I would go Napier one, Venables two, Cristobal three reason I, I say Cristobal three, even though he had a rough year last year is they're recruiting pretty well. And he's an alum and the previous coach was a failure basically. So you're going to give an alum a little bit more of a pause. I go Venables next because they had a rough year again, recruiting at a very high level. 
And I just think that they're poised for a their schedule sets up better for a little bit of a bounce back this year. And I put Napier one because he and part of the thing with Benevils too is I think Benevils is going to get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because the way Lincoln Riley left and how so many kids left the program after Lincoln Riley left. It's a completely different situation than what the other two guys walked into. I go Napier first for a couple reasons, Ryan. One is obviously he's starting to recruit better this year, but he didn't recruit well last year. And, right. and so his first year recruiting was not good. Starting to pick it up a little bit now, which is going to help him a little bit. But I think the second reason is of the three fan bases that we're talking here, Florida has the most insane of those and the most, you've got to be kidding me, with with how you're – like you fired Dan Mullen a year after he played in the SEC title game, and in three of his first years they, they won 10 or more games and you fired him, like that is a fan base and an administration that has a very unrealistic view of who they are. Yeah. And so fair or not, that is what Billy Napier's, that's the world Billy Napier's living in right now. And I don't think it's fair, but that's the reality. You struggle again this year, you're not guaranteed a third year. That's how nuts I think Florida is right now. That So I, I just uh, – I think he's has the most pressure. I agree. I agree. I think it's Napier pretty easily. Number one for me personally, because I think a, a couple of the things you hit on there, Brian, is that one, I think Florida is a very impatient program, very impatient, just obviously in support of the, of the football team and nothing wrong with that. But I just think that there are some unrealistic expectations that do get thrown out of there. And I look at that team. I looked at that roster the other day. I don't know if Florida's going to be very good in this year, man. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure, especially with that quarterback situation. Like, I think it's going to be a little bit of an egg year, so I'm not 100% sure about that one. Brett Venables, well, you're, I think you're, you're not on the Graham Mertz uh, train, Ryan. You're not, you're I've not. never been on the Graham Mertz train, man. But you're saying have, just because he yeah. just because he couldn't dominate the SEC West, I mean, uh, Big Ten West, you, you don't think he's going to go to the SEC and thrive? What? I, I'm so confused by your analysis here, Ryan. I'm just trying that sarcasm thing out, you know, seeing how it feels. I'm taking it for a little test drive. I got you, man. Well, I I think, though, you know, kind of a couple of things that you hit on, I think are absolutely correct, is that Brett Vanables, there was a – I mean, it was a little bit of a depleted roster. A lot of guys did leave, right? Like, you have to rebuild, obviously, the depth a little bit and be able to get it back. And I think that they're going to take a step forward in year two. I, I Again, I'm still not there with Brett Venables, the head coach. I'm just not sure if he's the guy there long-term, but it'll be better than it was last year. Like, it'll be better than six and seven, in my opinion. It'll be a little bit better. Miami, I just don't think Miami really cares that much about the program right now. Like, that's just kind of where we are. Like, I just don't think they really care about being that great of the team. And like you said, especially with an alum leading the team. Alum. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, right. and it's not a great roster. Like, he didn't walk into a roster there either so i think the no. pressure of florida is where it really that really separates it for me i agree let's go here ryan um i want to say this real quick anthony solomon said it's very troublesome to hear the lack of faith in al golden and getting younger guys in the game uh part of me wishes he would have stayed in the nfl let's be clear here this is not new to al golden folks this is the same problem we had with clark i had this problem with clark lee I had this problem with Bob Diaco. I had this problem mainly with Brian Kelly. And this is a problem across the country. Coaches don't like playing young players unless that young player is just insanely good because coaches are a breed of people that like things to be done a certain way, and guys with more experience tend to be able to do those things at a higher level. Uh, that's So this isn't unique to Al Golden. So I, 
I don't want this because like because he's not doing some other things the way he needs to, Ryan. What happens is anytime you say something like I don't have faith in him to do this, which is a criticism, it comes across as this. Guys, if Clark Lee never left, we'd be having the same complaint because that was a complaint I had with Clark Lee as well. Why aren't you playing more younger guys? Why aren't you getting those younger guys in the game? That was an issue I had with Coach Lee. So that is yeah. that is something that is a coaching problem in general, and it really requires – Coach Freeman had some very interesting things to say about why he believes what he believes about why it's important that they do that and why you need a plan and who he learned it from and how his experience as a player – on the opposite end of that, as the veteran who didn't want to get off, come off the field for a younger guy at any point in time, uh, you know how 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 he how he it changed how it, it it helps play into why he is the way that he is on it. So it's some very interesting takes. I'll have that up tomorrow. I thought it was a very interesting, very interesting conversation. So I um, yeah, I. I I think that's a big that's not a that's not a shot on how golden is in like fire him and hire 20 other people because guess what? Right. The majority of the other 20 people, it's gonna be a similar criticism. It's gonna be up to the head coach to say, you need to do this. That's just a that's just right. a, a a thing that's there. So I don't want that to turn into Al Golden is uniquely bad at something. Uh recruiting wise, right now he is. Let's be real about that. The defense was not as bad as people think it was last year. Do you know that last year, Notre Dame, Ryan, and this was in the article that I wrote today, and I know I know you haven't had a chance to read it because you've been on the phones and stuff all morning, but I'm going to give you some numbers. In games against Power 5 opponents, and I believe last year Notre Dame played what? Eight, nine Power 5 opponents last year, Ryan? I Sounds believe right. is, is, what, is what they did. So let, let me just look this up. Notre Dame played nine Power 5 opponents last year. Okay, so against Power 5 opponents, this was Notre Dame's ranking last year defensively. They ranked 18th in scoring defense, 12th in total defense, 12th in yards per play allowed, and 12th against in rushing defense. And I think they were 16th in yards allowed per rush last year against Power 5 opponents. Guys, that's not bad. It wasn't good enough. It yeah. wasn't. And they weren't good enough in clutch moments. There were some clutch moments that they needed to be better. But Al right. Washington or Al Golden's not being asked to turn a garbage defense into a championship caliber defense. He's being asked to turn a good defense into a great defense. Really good defense. Yeah. There's yeah. a difference. And that's the frustration with some of this is some of the stuff that becomes so hyperbolic that we're not even having like a rational conversation about this anymore. Like we need to be having a conversation about how Golden did not do a good enough job last year because the goal is championships. You need to make the third and nine stop against Marshall. You do that, you win the game. You need to make a stop against Stanford after you just went up and got a touchdown. You didn't do it. Right. Okay. I get all that. You need to play better in those moments. I did not like the game plan against USC. But there's a lot of games that you look at last year and say they don't win that if the defense doesn't play the way that they played. I mean, Ohio State and Clemson, two teams that going into the last week of the regular season were considered likely playoff teams, no, averaged 17.5 points against Notre Dame in their yeah. two games. Yeah, One scored 21, one scored 18. If you go look at the numbers, Notre Dame held – I think Phil Steele had this number – Notre Dame held opponents last year on average to 75 yards below their season average in total offense. And some of that was garbage yards. Like if you look at what North Carolina did, North Carolina gained, I think, over 200 yards in the fourth quarter when the game was over. Yeah. So 
His recruiting stinks right now. Let's be real about it. He needs to do a better job coaching this year. But the narrative about how bad the defense was last year is just not based on reality, in my view. And there's no metric that backs up the point of view that this defense was bad last year. It was good. But good enough, good doesn't win you championships. And I think that speaks volumes about the standard that was set by Elko and Diaco and Freeman and Clark Lee, right? But this was not a bad defense. This is a good defense. It just needs to get better. That's the key. And I think that it will in year two. I think the question right now, Ryan, isn't will it be better? The question yeah. is, will it just be like just a little bit of growth or will they take a big jump? I think that's really, to me, the only question that I have going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think by natural maturation, it's going to be better, right? But to your point, Brian, is it going to be a championship-level defense, right? Does it go from good to that type of defense? I think that's a major question mark. I mean, look, I just really – we get into this, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast. We are just taught so much today to be on one side or the other. We can't ever just have middle ground and have a conversation. Like, it's just very frowned upon in today's world for whatever reason. It wasn't good enough, but it wasn't bad. Just like a lot of things that are happening in Notre Dame, right? It's like, oh, the recruiting sucks or it's great. It's like, no, no, it's it's very good, but it can still improve in certain areas, right? Like we know that for certain. So, yeah, we need to be able to have those real conversations because that's the only time that growth happens. Like if we're just very critical, overly critical about everything, it's just not. Good. It's not great. And this comment from Andrew Gilmore is part of having a smart, a good conversation. This is a very fair response. He asks, uh, he says this, Ryan, he goes, um, where, where is that the first part of this? Oh, here we go. He says, but wasn't our slow offense a factor in all those stats? When you run the ball the entire second half, you eat the clock. That's a fair point. Notre Dame last year ranked 18th in time of possession last season. Uh, when you look yeah. at overall time of possession, uh, they ranked, but they ranked 38th in time of possession against those power five teams that I talked about. So they they had the ball for 31 minutes and 40 seconds. So it, it's not like they were Navy or Air Force. They're having the ball for 36 seconds or 36 right. minutes a game. It's a fair point. But, but also, Andrew, that's also why I included yards per play. Because when someone's just giving you yards, that can be misleading for things like Andrew talked about, right? Where you're controlling the clock and you limited teams to – you know, X amount of fewer possessions, and that's why you gave up less yards and, and those type. That's a very fair, that's a very fair point. Notre Dame last year ranked 35th in total plays allowed. So if it was about, you know, kind of looking at it from a standpoint of then you look at it from a from a power five standpoint, right? And and they were they were higher, right? Nope, they weren't. They ranked 65th in total plays against power five teams last year. Can be misleading because there's some teams that didn't play a whole lot. So what you have to look at then is to say, okay. Where were they yards per play in those categories? And they ranked in the top 20 in yards per play allowed as a total defense and yards allowed uh, as a uh, rushing yards allowed last season when it comes to how they were against uh, against Power 5 teams as well. And so let me just pull it up just to give you the exact number. Notre Dame ranked 12th last year in yards per play allowed. They were tied with Florida State for uh, 12th at 5.0. Right above them was Clemson at 4.98, and right above them was Georgia at 4.95. So Notre Dame is a rounding number away from being tied with Georgia for context, right? So I just, so I've always say this, Ryan, yards per play sometimes is going to give you a better idea of what, how you played compared to 
others. And here's another thing too, Ryan. If you take out teams that played three or fewer games against Power Five teams, they mm-hmm. jump up to eighth because Air Force only played two games against Power Five team. Middle Tennessee played one, and then Liberty and Cincinnati both played three. So if you take away teams that weren't Power Five teams, which would be Air Force, Middle Tennessee, Liberty, and Cincinnati, they ranked eighth among Power Five teams in yards allowed per uh, per play last season. You go to their rush defense last year, and and you look at how Notre Dame performed in that area. They were 14th, excuse me, they were 14th in yards allowed per rush against Power Five teams. If you take out the non-Power Five opponents, Ryan, there were six of them ahead of them that played one, two, or three games against Power Five opponents. So there, you're now talking about them ranking eighth amongst Power Five teams and yards allowed per rush. So again, this takes out the number metric of it and looks at it from the standpoint of how do they do in regard to yards per play. It's a much better story. And then they rank 25th in yards allowed per pass attempt against Power Five opponents. And when you consider that you played Ohio State and C.J. Stroud – in USC and Caleb Williams, that's a pretty good number right there. So again, uh, Andrew asked the right question, Ryan. Yeah, very good question. But that's why you need to look at the yards per play because that is going to—I mean—that's going to give you a much better indication. So it just goes to show that this defense, for good stretches of the year last year, was pretty good. They yeah. just didn't finish games well, just like they didn't finish drives well, and they didn't end the season on a real strong note against. USC without Cam Hart, without Treat Bracey, and a game plan that I didn't love. And Marcus, I had some on the board about Coach Freeman's comments on on their game plan against USC as well, Ryan. So again, as you said, we need to be able to have a conversation about how it wasn't good enough based on the standard that Notre Dame has, which is championships. Yeah. But it's turned into where if it's not championship, it sucks. And that's just not rational adult conversation. That's just social media flame throwing that just is unproductive and why I hate social media. Well, we need to be able to have an honest like, conversation about it. I even think about it with coaches sometimes, Brian. It's like not every coach that gets fired is did a bad job. It's just sometimes it's just not good enough. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just kind of hit a ceiling. Like we have to be able to just look at a guy and be like, yeah, he was a good coach. Maybe he just wasn't the right coach. Maybe he wasn't the right. coach that needed to get him to this level. Happens all the time. Andy Reid with the Philadelphia Eagles, who Andy Reid's one of the better coaches of all time. Andy Reid with the Philadelphia Eagles, you just it just had run its course. You were just like, you're as going to be as good as you are ever going to be with Andy Reid under the Philadelphia Eagles. He goes to Kansas City, now he's won multiple Super Bowls. Like that's just kind of where you are, man. It, it just doesn't doesn't make it doesn't make the statement a hundred percent true. Is kind of where I'm going with that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it just right. got to be able to be real with ourselves, man. We got to be real. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's get to some more here, Ryan, as we as we wrap this thing up. Let's go to um this is an interesting one here, real quick. Uh T Todd Brammy four, I think is where I'm gonna go with that one. He says, What do you think is more likely to happen in the next four years by Notre Dame player? A six T D game by quarterback, a four T D game by wide receiver, a five T D game by running back. And defensively, a five sack performance or three INTs. I think the first and the last one of those are the by far the most likely things to happen. Yeah, six touchdowns yeah. by a quarterback and three interceptions by a player. I mean, we've already seen the three interception thing; it just happened. We saw it this past yeah. year, and yeah, that's, I, I mean, believe. Go ahead, Ry. 
I was just going to say defensive player getting five sacks in a game is like, that's last on that list in my yeah. opinion like that. Yeah. yeah I, no, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I think the five, I'd say the five touchdowns by a back is more doable because, you know, yep. rushing and receiving is, is kind of, how I took that. The, the six touchdowns by a quarterback. I mean, that's, that's not, I mean, that's not hard to think at all. I mean, Jack Cohn had five touchdowns in his last game at Notre Dame. I believe Ian book had some games where he, he had close to that. I think Ian book might've had a six touchdown game, right? Actually he had, he had five touchdowns against uh, passing touchdowns against Bowling green, no rushing touchdown. He had five touchdowns against Navy, no rushing touchdowns. He was close there. See the many other games where he was at five. Nope. That's the only two he had at five. So he had, he had a bunch of fours and fives. So, I mean, if, if Ian book's going to do that, there's and that's this isn't a shot on Ian Book at all. It just it just I mean it's just something that you could do. I mean Wake Forest his, his first career start he had five touchdowns. And they yanked him in the fourth quarter because they were blowing Wake Forest out. So, uh, I, you know you remember that game right? Like it was like fifty six twenty seven. They yanked him. I mean he he could have had another touchdown that game. He had three rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. So certainly I think it's doable. It's very doable. Four touchdowns by a receiver. That's a tough one. That's a real tough one. And a five yeah, sack performance. Heck, I'll take a. I'll take a three sack performance, man. I seriously. Because what was the most we saw? We had Jerry Tillery had like what, like four against uh, Stanford in 2018, right? Am, am I correct yeah. on that? Believe so. So we've seen a guy get close, but that's um, yeah. that's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, Jerry had that's four tough. against uh, against. Uh, Stanford in 2008, and then Jerron Jones had a crazy tackle for loss game against Miami in 2016. Game, <laughs> yeah, let me let me find that stat. That was in the 2016 season. That was a crazy number. Let me find Jerron's number. Jerron had six tackles for loss against Miami, and one of them was a sack. So we've seen a couple games like that, but it that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. I, I would probably put. I'd probably put four touchdowns and five sacks at the bottom of that list. I agree. I, that's what I agree. I'd, yeah, I'd probably do that. I wonder how many games Sam Hartman had if he had any six touchdown performances at. at he has. I mean, he had six Wait. touchdowns against Clemson last year. Yeah, I was going to say. Probably so had a lot. Yeah, he had six touchdown passes against Clemson last year. Uh, let's see here. So let's go to six touchdown games for Sam Hartman. So he had. Uh, he had six touchdown pa- six touchdowns passing against Clemson last year, and let's see, did he have any rushing touch? Nope, no rushing touchdowns. He had five. T- he had six. He had two six touchdown games last year. He had yeah. five touchdown passes and in a rushing touchdown against Boston College. So he did that twice last year. Uh, he actually has a seven touchdown game, Ryan. He had five touchdown passes and two rushing touchdowns in a 55 to 58 loss to North Carolina in 2021. So, yeah, that's um and he had five touchdowns in the game before, three passing and and, and two rushing. So, yeah, Sam Hartman has had some games like that before in his career. He had another five So, in this is what I keep saying about why I'm excited about this team. Sam Hartman in 3 years against North Carolina had let's see 11 15 uh he had 15 touchdowns in 3 years against North Carolina and they lost every single game it's insane that's, that's not insane. happening at Notre Dame that's yeah. that's right in that nut they scored in the 50s twice yeah. their low point though was like 34 and they lost all three of those games that doesn't happen at Notre Dame 
you put up those kind of numbers, you're killing people. Yes. You know, especially now in the new overtime rules, Ryan, where, I mean, you can't even, it's like, it used to be back, like, not that long ago, where you could have, like, eight touchdowns in a game because you played, like, nine over. Remember that 74 to 72 A&M yep. LSU game? Wasn't, like, 24-24 the end of regulation or something? Oh, my God. Like yeah. And it was, like, nuts. But nowadays, it's like, what? You go to, you go for two after the second overtime, right? So you can't even get any touchdowns after that. So yeah. it, it, it'll be interesting. But, but fun question. I, I like those. I like those. Last two here real quick. Chief Brody says, if, if Jimmy Clausen was on Notre Dame in 17 to 20, how many natties would they have won? Oh, man. Um, I'd say this is going to sound nuts. I'd say one. I think they would have won year? 17 or 18. One of okay. those two years. One of those two years, I think that because like him throwing to Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool in 18 would have been pretty good. But that Clemson team was really Really good, but that would have been a heck of a duel, Ryan. Hey, with Jimmy yeah. Clausen against against Trevor Lawrence with with those guys at receiver, and then seventeen. I still say this too: if Notre Dame had a legit quarterback in seventeen, they they could have they were they could have been the best team in college football that year. I mean, that that would have been a very dangerous team, very dangerous team. The other part of it too is I don't think there was any great teams in college football that year. Actually, I thought the best team that year was Oklahoma. I thought I, I really did, and they just. Their defense just could not stop Georgia at all. I, I still think Georgia would have beat. I would think. Oh, I think whoever won the Georgia Oklahoma game was. I thought was going to win the title, but Georgia just at the time couldn't figure Bam out. That was not a great Bama team. That was a great coaching job by Nick Saban, but that was not a great Bama team. And I think Notre Dame yeah. could have beat Bama that year with Jimmy Clausen at quarterback, not not Brandon Wimbush, but with Jimmy Clausen at quarterback. I think they could have beat him with Everett Golson at quarterback. <laughs> I think could have beat him with the you know some other guys at quarterback. But if Deshaun Kaiser would have come back in 2017 with a better attitude, yes. I think that 17 team would have been dangerous. Like if he would have had a grow up moment after 16 and come back in 17, that team would have been really hard to beat. Really hard to beat. Deshaun was so talented, man. It's a shame. You know, he was so talented. Just goes to show how much attitude matters. Yes. No, absolutely attitude Intangible, intangibles man yeah intangibles and i've had people say you know, no way he beats clemson i'm telling y'all i was at that game notre dame receivers were getting open all game long against clemson and ian just wouldn't throw the ball jimmy makes those throws there's no doubt about it now would they have won i don't know that was a great clemson team but that game was a whole lot more competitive early on than three nothing i mean than 30 to three flat out flat out so that would have been a much more uh much more competitive game but you know will would they have won that boy that's that's ryan that's asking a lot yeah. that was a that 2018 team for clemson was really good yes it was really good well that's that's like if you drop it into 2020 it's like that alabama team was really good in 2020 yeah. <laughs> that was a yes. really good alabama yes <laughs> could they have made it competitive absolutely sure. it, you know what it would have looked like ryan it would have looked a lot like the Florida game where, Hey, we can score on you, but we just, we're never going to stop you enough to win. I mean, just the A&M game was kind of like that little bit that year as well, early yeah. on. And then Bama just steamrolled them in the second half. But yeah. you know, those, those are the different things that you look at and say, man, that would have been, uh, that would have made it a lot more competitive, but I, that's why I keep going back to 2017 because part of it is you take the best Notre Dame team, you take that 2015 team, give them the, the coaching staff that they had in 17. And I say, boy, that team could have, that team could have beat anybody in 2015, but you take all that and turn it into 2019. And guess what? They're still getting beat by LSU. 
right? I mean, right. that's just the there's there's they still probably lose to to Bama in 2020. I mean, it's just one of those things where part of it is just who do you play? I mean, it just happened that there's this generational team. That 2019 Clemson team was pretty good. They yes. they were not in the same league as LSU. I mean, it just they just weren't. So that's that's part of it too, Ryan. Is just some luck. I mean, yep. I've I've had people make the argument that the 2015 Clemson team was better than the 2016 Clemson team, and I think that I'm sympathetic to that argument. The difference is is they played a better Bama team in 2015 than they did in 2016. There was no Derrick Henry in 2015 <laughs> or in 2016. You know what I mean? And so that's that's part of it. That's part of the deal. You know, I've argued this before. The 89 Notre Dame team was better than the 88 over team, 88 team from a dominance and a talent standpoint. It was. But, you know, they, they had Miami on the road one year and Miami at home the other year. And that's why the one team won it and the other team didn't. So um, it's just part of the deal sometimes. It's kind of like we were talking about the Bills earlier, Ryan. There were some teams that won Super Bowls that the Buffalo Bills probably would have smacked a little bit. They just happened to play during a stretch when, you know, they played two Cowboys teams and a Redskins team that were pretty flipping good <laughs> that right. not a lot of people were going to beat. So I wonder, I wonder if you add up all yardage from high school, college, and NFL careers, if Derrick Henry has the most rushing of all time. Oh, he, he's got to be in the conversation, right? I mean, has to be, right? I mean, I, I know it. Let, let me look up his college stats because I know Herschel Walker had some crazy. Crazy high school numbers. Let me see what, yeah, because see, here's the thing what hurt hurts Derrick Henry, because he was really only a, the featured back that one year, right? He only finished his career at 3,500 yards. So I, I'll tell you what, I don't know if he would have had. I, I'm actually curious because I know Darius Walker had some crazy high school numbers, and. Um, yeah, in, in high school, Darius Walker rushed for 5,676 yards in college mm-hmm. in high school, but then Darius had some pretty good years in college, too. You know what I mean? So, I mean, there's some back Herschel Walker had crazy numbers. So, I, I'd be very curious because didn't Derrick Henry rush for like 7,000 yards or something like that? And I think school? it was more than that. I think it was more than that. I think it was like because you and I were you and I were talking about it on a show one time. Uh, yeah. recently where we were like his numbers in high school were nuts. Let, let me pull those up All right, for his career. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He had 12,000 yards of rushing in high school. Yeah. He still <laughs> might have it. Even I forgot about that. Cause we were talking about this one time, Ryan, he had 12,000 rushing yards in high school, 153 touchdowns. Yes. And then 3,500. Yes. There's nobody comes close to that. Nobody. He's, he's, he has 25,000 yards rushing between those three levels. That's nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> That's insane. And he's man. and he's and he's still fun, a functioning human being with all those. Yeah, he's still a good. He's still he's still yes. a good running back in the NFL. Like, yes. Yeah. He's he's that's insane. He's an alien. That's man. absolutely alien. insane. Oh man, he's fun to watch. Um, he said uh, Andrew Gilmore. There was a, a Ohio State. Oh, Iowa State running back in the 1990s. He ran for 20 years. That's Troy Davis. You remember him? Troy Davis. Yes. Is yeah, who he's talking I'm about. Sure. But Troy Davis, I think, only had like two years at Iowa State because he 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 did not finish his career as the God football time leading rusher. He had yeah. I think back to back two thousand yard seasons. Yes. So Troy Davis in 94 and 96 had or 95 and 96 had over two thousand yards, but he only had 187 as a rookie. Uh, or I mean as a freshman. So he only had forty three hundred yards. Uh, but yeah. do you know who the all time leading rusher in college football is? Donnell Pumphrey. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well technically technically it's Danny Woodhead. 
but we'll go with Donald Pumphrey for yeah. uh, D1 stuff. Yeah. Division one, yes. Because then you start getting into like dudes of Mount Unions put out. Yeah, it's not. I still say I still say that um, uh, I still kind of go with Ron Dane. I kind of with Donald Pumphrey. I kind of give him a little bit of a um, of an asterisk on that one because he played way more games. Yes. Ron Dane, I think, played like forty three games in his career. Donald Pumphrey played like fifty something. Right. Yep. I mean, so is a little different animal and he still barely beat Ron Dane in, in numbers. So yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit of a different deal. Well, you, want, this, you want to talk about and, someone that would have shattered it though. If Jonathan Taylor were to play the fourth year, he probably would have yes. shattered that record. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Herschel Walker too. I mean, if, Her, yeah. if Herschel Walker would have played his senior year of, of college as well, he would have had some crazy numbers. Cause he had, where was he at? He had 5,200 yards, um, in three years, his worst, his yeah. quote unquote worst year as a rusher was as a freshman. He had 1600 yards. And here's the crazy thing, Ryan never played more than 11 games and they didn't count bowl games back then as in part of your stats. So wild. Her, Her, Herschel would have had some monster numbers back in the day, man. All right. Last Jonathan question Taylor. here. Jonathan Taylor, 6,174 yards in three years. His lowest rush was 1,977 yards. How many games? Uh, he played in 14, 13, and 14. So exactly. 41 games. Exactly. 41 games. Exactly. exactly. How many did he have per game? Did it say, Ryan? Like, what was his average per uh, game? I can do the math real quick. 6174 by 41. So in three years, he averaged 150.6 yards a game rushing. Herschel Walker's a 159.4. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. And don't make them like they used to, Ryan. And that's why you enjoy when guys like Derrick Henry and, and Jonathan uh, Taylor come along, you enjoy yes. them. Yes. You really enjoy them. Another guy that put up some some great numbers, and he would have had he would have had some really impressive numbers if he would have played his fifth season or fourth season is J.K. Dobbins. Because I, I I mean he he would have had another two thousand yard year, in my opinion, if he'd have come back for a senior year. And he finished with forty four fifty nine. So he would have been uh well, no, he wouldn't have. You know what? I take that back. He wouldn't have because that would have been 2020 and he only would have played eight games because Ohio State did all their cra- – that Big Ten did all their craziness. So his his yeah. senior senior year would have been there in the COVID year, so he wouldn't have – he still would have had over 1,000 yards, but he wouldn't have – he would have had the big year that he had. So J.K. was stupid, man. He was a stupid guy. He was really back, good. Was he really was good. really good. Yep. You know, it's funny is somebody asked thoughts on Ricky Williams. He was so awesome. Honestly, Ricky Williams and Ron Dane – do not get nearly the love that they should. They were yeah. tremendously, but they just weren't sexy backs and they weren't sexy, sexy characters. Ricky was really quiet. He wasn't a me guy. He wasn't a, you know, go out and be in the media. He didn't have his own, you know, all those different. He just wanted to just be out of the spotlight. And Ron Dane played in Wisconsin. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And he didn't look like a great athlete, you know? So they just don't get that same flash, but man, there there's, there's been some great running backs over the years. There's no doubt about that. And then uh, last last question. Actually, let's wrap it up there, Ryan. So let's. That was a fun okay. conversation. We're going to wrap it up there. Why don't you take us out of here, Mister Roberts? Yeah, I, I hope everybody enjoyed a little bit of Notre Dame recruiting hour. Obviously, dove in if you missed the first section of this podcast. Dove heavy into some updates for the 2024 class. Next week, we'll be really starting to get into the 2025 class to give you all a little bit of insight into some of the top players positionally. That you need to know in Notre Dame. So before you get out of here, Ryan Roberts, Ryan Driscoll, please hit that like button. Subscribe to the podcast. You get that no- notification bell as well. 
We'll be back tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern time for Night Nation Sports Talk. And, of course, we'll be back tomorrow in the regular 1 o'clock slots as we continue to work through the offseason as we inch closer and closer to college football. So join IrishBreakdown.com at the premium message board. You can sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com. A lot more intel recruiting and team-wise as, again, we inch closer. The end of July, team players are going to start recording, reporting to camp. I have a big, a big, uh, big recruiting event, obviously, as well, the barbecue at the end of the month. So make sure that you stay locked in at IrishBreakdown.com for your all fixes that you need for Notre Dame football. Thank you all so much again for joining us today on the Recruiting Hour on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.